Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I tell you what, uh, man, I couldn't sleep last night. You know what today is, right? It's Super Bowl Sunday for churches. Man, it is, it is Resurrection Day. I got to thinking yesterday, by the way, welcome to Connect Church, of really the desperate situation the disciples, those who love Jesus, found themselves in on that Saturday. Yeah, I got to thinking that Saturday is upon us, but, but we know that Sunday's coming, that death still surrounds us, sin still tempts us, sickness may still wound us, Suffering still pervades us and evil invades us. Satan still taunts us. However, death will not have the last word. The tomb will empty. The tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And I'm going to tell you, church. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That is why today we get to gather together to celebrate. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Thank you for the opportunity uh, together to make much of Jesus. Happy Resurrection Day uh, to each of you. Now, I read the story this past week of a five-year-old little boy by the name of Brian. Now listen, he was tasked at his church's Easter program to say really what is the most important verse of the entire program out of Luke chapter 24, verse 6. Y'all know the verse, he is not here, he is risen. Well, he had studied that verse he had it down pat, but when it came time for his Easter production, Cody, you know what he did? He got up on the stage and he saw all the bright lights and the, the crowd of people. Man, he froze up. And he just stood there. Well, well, one of his teachers from down on the floor said, hey, Brian, Brian, he is not here. He's risen. And so Brian, hearing, kind of catching a little bit of what she said, he, he grabbed that microphone and as loud and proud as he possibly could, he said, he is not here, he is in prison. <laughs> Listen, I appreciate little Brian's confidence, but I'm not certain that's what the text says. <laughs> hey, can I clear up some confusion for us this morning? Some of the greatest words ever spoken, the greatest words ever declared, the greatest words ever proclaimed are the truth of Scripture, that he is not here, he is risen. And that is the truth that we get to celebrate today together. So as we celebrate Easter, we're going to do so in the Gospel of John through the eyes of a woman named Mary. Through the eyes of someone, as we just sang moments ago, someone who, who witnessed it because she witnessed it. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus but another Mary, deeply impacted, whose life was forever changed by Jesus. Her name, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, according to Scripture, according to history, she witnessed, was an eyewitness to the events of Easter. So today, when it comes to Resurrection Sunday, today, when it comes to celebrating the truth that Jesus rose from the grave and he is alive, I'm going to encourage you not to take my word for it, but to take her word for it. Take the word of the one who was an eyewitness on the scene 
that day. You know, Mary Magdalene is mentioned just a handful of times in Scripture. Out of the 12 times her name is mentioned, 11 of those put her across the four Gospels at the scene of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. The only time we really see her in Scripture is right here in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Where it says, soon afterwards, he, meaning Jesus, went on preaching through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also, watch this, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And here's where it gets interesting for us today. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons have gone. And that's what we know of her story. She had seven demons in her and seven demons that Jesus drove from her. While little is mentioned about Mary Magdalene in Scripture, may she is present for the greatest events in all of history. There's also a lot of speculation that comes around surrounding Mary Magdalene. A quick search of Wikipedia, that great bastion of truth online, will show you that there's a whole lot of speculation about her out there. Think of it this way. Her Wikipedia page has more content than Paul, Peter, or John of the Bible, all of whom had exponentially more said about them in Scripture. We know more about them than we do Mary Magdalene, yet she has a whole lot more content, a whole lot more speculation. So what I want us to do today is I want us to to set aside the speculation and I want to focus on truth, that is, Scripture. I want us to know for sure what we know about Mary Magdalene. I want us to park there just for a little bit. And here it is, you ready? She had seven demons. Jesus drove them out and she began to follow Jesus. Now some say Mary Magdalene was the same woman who was caught in adultery later on in John chapter 8. Or maybe the very same woman with a sinful past that would wipe uh, Jesus' feet with her tears and, and anoint him. But here's the truth. We, out of Luke 7, we, we just don't know that for sure. I love, what, um, I love what one author said. There's not a whole lot of certainty to the exact past of Mary, but he says, but in the end of the day, just, it doesn't matter. The Spirit has veiled Mary's past in obscurity and too much speculation to miss the point. And so today, man, I don't want to miss the point. For what I'm astonished about when it comes to Mary Magdalene is that someone who has such a sinful and troubled and broken past plays such a prominent role in that first Easter weekend. Why am I astonished by that? Because it reminds me that Jesus uses people with sinful and troubled and broken past, even to this day. And you know what that means? That he uses someone like Mary Magdalene, someone like me, and somebody like you. Peter Ackroyd, in the biography of Shakespeare, and I love Shakespeare, by the way, but in his biography, he, he noted this. This may be a familiar face. This is Shakespeare's face. You studied him in school. Some of you may have tried to block that out from your memory, but he was there in your school time. And here's what this biography says about Shakespeare, that that he asserts that tragedies that deal with a person of high degree were the only tragedies Shakespeare was concerned with. But the tragedies of the low life held no interest for him. It was royalty that Shakespeare had his concern. 
the King Richards, the Caesars, the Prince Hamlets, the tragedies of the poor, he cared nothing about. And in this situation, I am thankful that Jesus is no Shakespeare. I am thankful that Jesus is not Shakespeare. For we see in Mary Magdalene, a woman that is considered to be the lowest in life, poor in so many ways, a woman Shakespeare would never take an interest in her or even her story, but Jesus made sure that her name and her faith was written down and will be remembered forever in the Word of God. you got to go with me to first century Palestine. A woman with a sinful and troubled and broken past like Mary Magdalene would be the very last person anyone would expect to be chosen for what we call first when it comes to Jesus. Y'all know what first are, don't you? Hey, when you're born, you take your first breath, right? We celebrate first all the time. We celebrate when our child takes their first steps. Remember your first kiss, your first love? How about that first job or that first car? Man, we love celebrating when it comes to first. But the first that Mary experiences were nothing short of miraculous that first Easter weekend. You see, through the Spirit of God, we learn through the Word of God that she was there at Jesus' crucifixion. She saw what Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And church, can I remind you, you cannot rejoice in an empty tomb if you haven't been to the cross. Mary was at the cross. She'd been there. She was there when the disciples at the time were all hiding in fear. And yet she and the other women were there with and for Jesus in the hardest moments, in the darkest chapters of his life. She watched him falsely accused, beaten, crucified. And she watched him die. When I was young in my teenage years, Scott, you'll remember this. Uh, every time I preached, I started preaching at the age of 15 as a shy introvert just backwards and, but Jesus had saved me and I had to tell folks about him and, and but probably for the first three years that I ever preached the only thing I ever preached on was the cross I, I didn't preach about anything else to me there was really nothing else to preach I wasn't raised in church and so man the cross was all I knew so every time I preached I preached on the cross and, and, and there was another guy who was an intern with me he's a little bit older and man he started kind of making fun of me Every time I'd preach, he'd go, man, don't you know anything else to preach about? Can't you preach about anything but the cross? I'm going to tell you something. No. I mean, I, I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over what Christ did for me on the cross, and I pray to God that I never will. And I can imagine for Mary Magdalene, she just couldn't get over what Jesus had done for her on the cross. She was there when his lifeless body was placed in the tomb. What would serve as his grave carved out from stone on a hillside, borrowed from a friend. Good Friday was anything but good for Mary Magdalene. It was gut-wrenching. It was a gruesome Friday. But little did Mary know Sunday really was coming. Think of what she witnessed on that first Good Friday at the tomb of Jesus. One, his tomb was blocked 
by a large stone. Number two, it was protected by a Roman seal. And number three, it was guarded by soldiers. You see, the guards and the seal were important in that day. Grave robbing was a serious crime and a serious concern, and nobody wanted Jesus' grave robbed. But here's the problem. Little did they know that day that God himself is the greatest grave robber in all of history. You ready? At the time, it's estimated that Rome had 60 legions of soldiers at their disposal. Nearly 300,000 men. Hey, you ready? Station all of them at the tomb of Jesus and still they couldn't stop God from robbing the grave of His Son that morning. And that's exactly what God did. Exactly what He did. And so Mary shows up yet again to the tomb and she finds three things that day. Number one, the seal was broken. Number two, that stone had been rolling. And number three, the soldiers, they were missing. So speaking of first, Mary Magdalene was the first to see the empty tomb that first Easter morning. Watch this in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, listen, we understand this in Scripture. She didn't fully understand what had happened to Jesus. She was really just the first one there to lay her eyes on the empty tomb. Immediately, Scripture tells us she left the other women. She took off running to Peter and John, grabbed them, ran back to the tomb with them so that they could see the empty tomb with their own eyes. Another first for Mary. Listen to this. Mary Magdalene, of all people, was the first to see, to speak to, and to grab hold of Jesus after he rose from the grave. Later on in John chapter 20, Mary goes back to the tomb by herself, and you ready? She loses it. She just comes apart. She begins to weep. She sees two angels, the Bible tells us, but that doesn't seem to faze her in her grief. The angels look to her and say, hey Mary, what? Why are you crying? Why are you weeping? And it says this, she responds, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have taken him. Just broken. And you know what I can imagine happens at this moment in John chapter 20? Jesus looks over at his two angels and says, hey fellas, step aside. I've got this. I've got this. And Jesus steps on the scene. And here's what happens in verse 15. Woman, He asked her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? You ready? Who are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And then watch this. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. He spoke her name. I can imagine in the years leading up to this moment, in John chapter 20, she had heard Jesus speak her name hundreds if not thousands of times. But this time, it was different. He wasn't supposed to speak her name again in her mind. Perhaps she had resigned herself to the fact that she would never hear her name from his mouth again. And yet she did. All it took 
was to hear her name from Jesus' mouth. And the reality, the rejoicing of the resurrection was realized by Mary as she reached out and she grabbed hold of Jesus. She hugged the very Jesus who days earlier she watched die on the cross but is now alive. Uh-uh, Mary. Jesus' grave wasn't robbed by criminals. God had robbed the grave of his son and raised him to life. And now she's the first to witness it. To witness it. The last of the first that I want to mention. So I want to mention Mary Magdalene was also the first to serve as a witness to the others that Jesus was alive and she had seen him. She had spoken to him. She had grabbed hold of him. Watch this in verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, the first one to do so, having seen Jesus, I have seen the Lord. Church, don't just take it from me. Take it from someone who witnessed it. I can imagine Mary Magdalene today, if she could, standing on this stage and saying to us, yeah, I witnessed it. Jesus is alive. And he's made me alive. Remember what Paul would write in Colossians? Say this, and you who were dead in your trespasses, meaning our sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having been forgiven of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. Watch this, nailing it to the cross. And so I want you to hear me, believer. You ready? On this day, in this moment, we are all witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. How? Because he is alive. And by faith, he has made us alive. And you might be saying to yourself, well, well, Pastor, I've been a Christian for a long time. I have a lot of Easter's under my belt. I've heard the resurrection time and time again. So what? And now what for the believer? So what and now what? What is it that we can learn from this Mary Magdalene? Man, how many of y'all love Cracker Barrel in the room? How many of y'all wish I'd hurry up so you can go to Cracker Barrel in the room? Okay, hey, hey, listen, I love me some Cracker Barrel. And one of my favorite things to do as a dad is, is once we order our food as a family, uh, one of my kids will always say, Daddy, let's go play some checkers. I love that because here at the Severeville Cracker Barrel, I am 93 and 0 against my children. <laughs> they don't stand a chance. Um, and I'm pretty proud of that record, by the way. Well, we sit down at checkerboard, and really the whole object of the game is to take your checker piece and to do everything you can to get it to the opposing player's boundary. Because you know what happens when I get my little checker piece over on my five-year-old boy's side or my, my six-year-old daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, ten-year-old daughter's side? You know what happens when I get to their boundary? You know what I get to shout out in all the Cracker Barrel? King me! King me! You know what that, that's pride. That's accomplishment because I know they're fixing to take another one of my pieces, put it on top of mine, and now I am the king of the board, right? I wear, I wear the crown. I would put this on my head, but it looks like a Jewish yarmulke, so we're going to pass on that. I wear the crown and Cracker Barrel, for I am the champion. I love playing checkers with my kid. But you know there's a life lesson there too. Christian, we live in a world 
especially in a culture that demands, that beats their chest and says, no, king me. King my every desire. King my every feeling. King my every want. King my truth. King me. And that is the world we live in today. Let me tell you what happens when we live in light of the resurrection. Is you and I get an opportunity in a world that demands king me. Mm-mm. I'm going to crown him. Every day, I wake up and I put my two feet on the ground. Speaking of first, the first thing I'm going to do is crown him. The king and the Lord of my heart and my life. Without question, Mary Magdalene spent the rest of her life crowning Jesus. In light of the resurrection believer, can I just issue a simple challenge in the midst of a world that says, King me. Choose instead to crown him. Every day. Every moment. Crown him because he alone is worthy. Not you. In the morning, not your iPhone, not anybody else, not your schedule. He alone is worthy to be crowned as king and lord in your heart and your life. Because that's exactly who he is. You know, I got to hear a story this past week about a, a father and son. It's a dad and his little boy went out in his truck and began driving. It was springtime, their windows were down, and a bumblebee flew into the truck. If y'all ever had that happen, it's absolutely terrifying, right? Uh, Aaron and I, she's in the back there. We were out on a date one night, and I have a motorcycle, and I don't ever wear shorts riding a motorcycle, but that night I wore shorts. Two bumblebees flew in my britches while I was driving my motorcycle. <laughs> I almost pushed my wife off the bike. Almost, well, listen, we all, we all died that night. It's terrifying. Well, they're driving down the road, and the bumblebee gets in the truck, and here's the deal. The little boy was so severely allergic to a bumblebee sting that it could kill him. His dad looked in the rearview mirror and saw just the terror that came over his son's face. And so he did what any other good daddy would do. He reached out and as that bee was flying, he grabbed hold of it with his bare hand. He squeezed it and he threw it down in the floorboard. And the son was relieved. But just a moment later, the daddy hadn't squeezed hard enough. And that bee came back to life and began busting again. And the little boy again was gripped with fear. But this time, his daddy reaches out his hand and he begins to point to his palm. It says, son, don't be afraid. You see, right there in the palm of the dad's hand was the stinger of that bee. He said, son, don't be afraid. I took the sting for you. You're going to be okay. I took the sting for you. On the cross, Jesus reached out his hands. 
Church, he took death's sting for you and for me. He took the sting away from that old grave. The sting that hell provides, he took it all away. And the message of Easter is a reminder to the church. What do you have to fear? Of what do you have to be afraid? Jesus took the sting for you and for me. And so I ask the question that Paul would pose to the Corinthian church. Oh death, where is thy sting? And oh grave, where is thy victory? Why? Because it's on this day, through Jesus' cross, through him emptying the tomb, that he took our sting for us. And so as I go about crowning him, each and every day, I'm reminded that I have nothing to fear. I do not need to be afraid. What can cause me to worry? My king my Jesus took the sting from me. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.